0: Everybody and welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am your host Andrea Pagnozzi. I am also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 to realizing their true career potential. I often tell my clients that you can't be everything to everyone. It's not even the goal. In life to do that how it became a goal for them and for others including myself who is guilty of putting everybody else's needs in front of our own is that we put people in terms of importance ahead of ourselves to make ourselves feel better to make them love us to appreciate us more And to make in a work situation, people feel as though we overproduce, we overdeliver. And so why not promote somebody like that? Why not work with somebody like that? And it all has good intentions. In fact, we learn by doing these things through our own personal lives. We do it when we have children, as parents, we do it as caregivers, when somebody we love is sick or in need of help. Those are natural, organic moments when other people's needs really do require our undivided attention. But sometimes in our careers and in our lives, our needs need to be at the forefront. And somehow many of us have become the job, right? We're slaves to the nine to five, mistaking that over-delivering and productivity are the proper measures of hard work, forgetting that time management and delegation maybe two really defined strengths of someone who is in command of their career. And those that have mastered these skills, including the ability to set boundaries and say no, or maybe not now, tend to have better job satisfaction. There are so many things that I appreciate about our guest today, but first and foremost is that she is all about boundaries. She enables people to strengthen their resolve so that their needs, their goals should be a priority in their lives. Krista Resnick is a self-proclaimed recovering people pleaser. She is also a master coach, a boundary expert. She's done numerous podcasts on the subject, and she's a mother to I love this, three adultish boys. <laughs> I can certainly relate to that. She helps overwhelmed women embody boundaries from the inside out. And from my male listeners. I swear you're going to get something from this as well, because you've got to put up boundaries. It's going to have a transformative effect. Her love and passion for boundaries is the byproduct of her own story, which I'm going to let her talk about in some detail. She serves now hundreds of women across the globe. Krista has witnessed the transformative power of embodying healthy boundaries and strongly believes that a well-boundaried life empowers women and really everyone to stop people pleasing and come back home to themselves so that they can create lives that are full of purpose and passion fueled. We are fortunate to have her on 52 Weeks. Krista, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Andrea. Anytime I get to speak about boundaries and empower others to really start thinking about where they're having some of these boundary leaks, it is such a gift and such an honor. So thank you.
0: Yes, absolutely. You have a very interesting story about how you arrived at this being your focal point. Tell us about your journey.
1: Oh, gosh, my journey. How far back do you want me to go? <laughs> part enough back where people are going to relate is fine with me. So one of the stories I love to share that I think will really resonate with a lot of listeners is the time that we went on vacation and I came home and I had the vacation blues so badly that there was such a level of sadness and overwhelm and anxiety because I remember those last couple of days of vacation, sort of feeling that frenetic amped up energy starting to appear and I, I started looking at what is this why am i so anxious to go back home what does this mean why am i so resistant like you know because we can't all just live a life on vacation right <laughs> i mean how glorious that would be but and what i came to realize long story short was that i had a lot of the external things i had a lot of the things that most people would look at my life and think she's got it all. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's got a really great partner. She's got three cool kids. She's got a house. She's got a career. Why is she being ungrateful? And so I kept that sadness, that anxiety, that overwhelmed to myself because I was embarrassed. I thought, how can I have all of this stuff on the outside and everything seems so, I guess, perfect, maybe not that perfect is a thing, but all of my T's, according to the world were crossed. All of my I's were dotted, but there was this internal conflict. There was this internal angst and suffering. And that was because I had built a life on somebody else's idea of success. I had built a life being so others focused. What do you need? What do you want? what do you think? Because if you think that, then I'll think that too. Like, Mm -hmm. and then we'll connect. I really did not have a strong sense of self whatsoever. And of course, you know, as we talk more through the podcast, we may unpack that a little bit goes back to a lot of childhood conditioning and the way I was raised and the messaging that I received, but I really lacked a sense of self. So I became others focused. And that moment coming home from vacation, it was sort of like a very gentle wake up call to what's going on here. Mm -hmm. What's missing. I wasn't standing in my leadership. I wasn't standing in my power. I didn't even know who I was or what I needed. So that was really the beginning of a massive pivot for me.
0: Massive pivot for you. Great gift to give everybody else. So this became a life's passion and boundaries. When you were doing this for yourself, what did you start to do to start to place boundaries in your life? Where was the first action taken? Oh, I love that question. And here's where I I want the
1: listeners to understand. I'm really, I'm actually really passionate about that. This topic right here. There's no one right way.
0: Hmm.
1: That's one of the ways my perfectionism showed up. I never identified as a perfectionist because I would have things not so polished and I would let people see certain things that I thought were deemable for people to see. But my perfectionism showed up in, I got to get this right. If Andrea is the expert and Andrea says, this is the way to do it. Then that's the right way. Hmm. If Christine over here is the expert and she's got a little bit of clout and expertise. Well then, so I, I put everybody around me on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. So before we dive into what this actually looked like for me, there's no one right way. There's lots of different beautiful ways. Boundaries was one of the ways for me that led me in the snap of a finger to start to experience some freedom and some clarity. Because I was such a massive people pleaser, I once had a, I think it was a seven or eight hour coffee date, Andrea. (laughs) We're talking massive people pleaser. I had invited a woman over for coffee to have a little time of connection. She got there shortly after the kids got on the bus to school and she was still there when the kids got home, (laughs) dropped off on the bus. At like three forty-five, four o'clock. Yeah. And it's kind of funny, but at the time I can remember the angst and the suffering and the lump in my throat thinking, does she not understand? How can she not get this? And then I have things to do, right? There was the blame. I was always blaming other people. So I share that story because that's how extreme my people pleasing actually was. So for me, I had to get pretty rigid right out of the gate with my boundaries. And I had to just start building that muscle by saying, No, and not going into a lot of story because going into a lot of story for me meant all of a sudden now we're rationalizing, we're justifying, we're over explaining. So I had to just start doing the work of saying no and letting that land no matter how uncomfortable
0: I was. That is, first of all, powerful, but it is something that has repeatedly come up with me with clients that are looking to discern what has gone wrong in my career. Why am I not getting promoted? I am putting so much into it. I am doing things. I am so productive. I put in the hours. I put in more than the hours and yet they're asking me for more and I'm still not getting anywhere. And I say to them, have you ever said no? Yeah. Yeah. That if I do that, they won't consider me for a promotion of this or that. I wouldn't be a good leader if I said no. What do you say to people who think that way?
1: Well, we have to start looking at those stories mm-hmm. and those beliefs and where those beliefs came from. And we really have to start detangling, if that's a word, boundaries or, well, let me go here for a minute. We have to stop collapsing our self-worth with outside resources, the promotion, the number of clients we have the likes, the hearts, the handbag, the certification, the BMW, the whatever it is. And those can be all really beautiful things. So I'm not judging those things. I have some of those things and appreciate some of those things as well, Mm -hmm. but we have to stop collapsing our self-worth with external circumstances and situations, And that is truly, so you asked me, you know, a couple of questions ago about the work that I stepped into. It was about building that boundary muscle with a solid no. And simultaneously boundaries are a direct reflective of self-worth and self-love. That's where I had to start. So it was starting that process of looking at all of my beliefs and looking at what I actually believed about myself and why I was collapsing the number of clients I had with my self-worth, the number of likes I got after doing
0: a Facebook live with my self-worth, the X, Y, Z with my self-worth. Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense. And what's interesting about what you're saying is recently in a conversation with a client who had said all of these things to me. I can't turn off. I'm afraid if I do, I'll be taken off the succession planning. My career path will be toast if if I start to say no and I put up boundaries. And here was the kicker. They're used to me doing this. And if I pull back, they'll start to look at me different. And it's a big innate fear. And What I said to the client was, you are aware that if you were to leave the company and get a promotion somewhere else, the job would still go on without you. And he kind of sat there for a second and he said, well, yeah, obviously, I mean, the show must go on. And I said to him, so what makes you believe that you couldn't say no and the show would go on anyway? And that that one act of taking back time and priority in your own life, which would only lead to more value, more presence in your home life, which was one of his biggest problems at the time. Yep would detract people who've seen somebody consistently overperform from promoting them just because of one, especially if articulated well. And it it had a profound effect, but to your point, it wasn't adopted immediately. We got into this conversation, and I'd love for you to expand on this a little bit, where we talked about when someone comes to you with a situation or a problem at work, we all have that parasympathetic hormone kicks in and they have this flight or fight reaction. I can do it. If I say no, and I run from it, then they're not going to look at me as a leader. How does that show up for people where you can literally turn on like a switch and say, is it habit or is it a fight or flight reaction?
1: I think, you know, actually, Andrea, it can be both. I happen to work with a lot of fauners Mm-hmm. So what will happen if, if you're not familiar with the fawn response is we've got fight or flight, which most folks are accustomed with those two terms. We also have freeze. And then the fawn is really interesting because we get rewarded for being fawners, right? Like culture is like you're a hard worker, more hustle, more grind, more, you know, being others focused. Let's just get the job done. Let's just keep, you know, fighting for climbing up the ladder. Um, And so I know for myself personally, I could have had any boundary script. I could have had any what to do when, say this, do this. But when I was presented with something and when my clients are presented with something and their knees are knocking and their hands are trembling and all of a sudden they've got the lump in the throat, they've got the tension in their chest. The next thing they know, their cheeks are hot. That's that moment where if we don't hit the pause button, because that's our response. That's that moment where if we don't slow down, we automatically go
0: into that Fawn stress response. That's exactly what that particular client was going through. And it was to the point where he was beginning to shut down. Yes. And it was metaphysical. He was not knowingly shutting down. He said there was a moment at which he was set to have a big presentation and he'd done it a million times in his sleep. And all of a sudden he said, I could not hit the join this meeting button. And he said, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He was having a nervous system response. So what was happening, and this doesn't surprise me at all, super common. I've seen it in myself and in my clients. Fawners can't stay in that fawn response forever. So what they'll do is they'll dip down into sort of a low activation freeze because at some point their nervous system, just it's like a fried uh, wiring. Like it's, you can't stay in that response forever because it is so exhausting. So we've got to sort of dip down into that freeze in order to just go replenish
0: ourselves a little bit. What was interesting was it triggered him to hire me as a coach, but the reality was he was going for a promotion. His wife was pregnant with twins on the heels of having a two-year-old at home. Mm. He was interviewing for a promotion He was presenting to the executive leadership team, this proposal that would have launched an entirely new product that they had been working on for months, a lot on his plate. After this incident took place, he was feeling not well. And he went to the doctor only to find out he had shingles. And the doctor said to him, and by the way, I have permission to use his story because he now talks about it in a corporate setting, which is interesting to tell people you got to put the brakes on. But he said, the doctor said to him, shingles is a result many times of stress. It's your body's reaction to stress. Yeah. So he said, I didn't have a nervous breakdown, thank goodness. But it was a moment at which my body said, you're sick. You need to tend to a lot of things. And this isn't one of them right now. Yeah.
1: And my guess is more than likely, this wasn't a new occurrence for him. You know, mm-hmm. if we dug around back into his childhood, much like mine, there's something there. So for me, I came from a family where emotions were shut down. It wasn't safe for me to be me. It was a constant messaging of sit down, be quiet, sit down, be quiet. And I didn't feel like I was okay. Like it wasn't safe for me to be me. So I want your listeners to really understand that this is a safety thing. So as a child, I learned the way that I felt safe, psychologically safe, was to gain approval of others, no matter the cost. It was too risky for me to be myself because I was taught that who I really was, and this wasn't just from caregivers. This was from a lot of different aspects in my life. This was from church leaders. This was from sadly teachers. Mm -hmm. I just continued in so many places to get the messaging as a little girl, who you are isn't quite enough. You're not one of the special ones. You're not one of the ones that gets chosen. So in order again, to create that psychological and emotional safety for myself, I had to contort into a people pleasing pretzel. Mm. I had to be that chameleon. It was a constant, who do you need me to be? Oh, you need me to be that? Sure. I can do that. Totally. I, I got that. Yep. I can do that. So this was my survival. And this is the story of a lot of people. We use approval or we use control typically, in order to feel that sense of safety. So that's why I always like going back into the childhood story to really untangle some of those limiting stories and beliefs, some of that trauma that occurred as a child and a trauma being too much, too fast, too soon, and not enough. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will think of trauma as the person that encountered the accident, the fire, the war veteran. That is trauma. And it's also the child that got told he or she was too fat on the playground. Mm -hmm. It's also the little girl that didn't feel like she belonged in her own household. It was the little girl who felt like she was never enough. It was the little girl and believed she was a burden because I didn't get my needs met. I was never told by my caregivers that I was loved or that I was worthy or that I was special or that I mattered. Children need their caregivers to reflect and mirror back to them who they really are. It's a responsibility of a parent and it's not to blame, but it is to look at the story and go, okay, I can see where that started. I can see how it's not serving me any longer. And it's time to do something about it.
0: Yeah. Generational it's societal, it's tribal. It is typically a response that has been passed down generation to generation to generation. We didn't do that in my day. We pulled up your big girl panties and you got on your way. You need this type of discipline. It's not even just so much deserving Is it's, they don't know to do anything else. That's the expectation. Yep. Boundaries versus expectations is a really interesting topic that I would love to dive into a little bit, because what happens is you are raised in these situations and then you go into the real world where there are other people, not your parents, not your loved ones, not your tribe, that are expecting certain performance. That is a little bit antithetical to what we have been raised believing. They want you to succeed. They want you to overachieve. Not only is it a question of deserving, it's you must do Mm -hmm. to show performance, to show equity. How do you set those boundaries early and remind people often that they exist?
1: Are we speaking anyone in particular or the leaders, the people that kind of oversee in
0: companies? Both. Let's tackle both if we can.
1: Okay. Something was coming to mind as you were speaking. And I think it's really important to sort of close down the conversation we were just having around the childhood story. And that is for people like myself and others listening who do tend to use the Fawn response, setting a boundary first and foremost, literally feels like life or death (laughs) because our nervous systems are having that reaction. And so in these environments, whether you're in corporate, whether you're setting a boundary with a client, you have to set a boundary with a client today. And is it going to feel pleasant and fun? Of course not. Of course not. But when you miss a session, when you just pull a no-show, it's my responsibility as a leader to call you out and to call you forward in a loving and kind way. That doesn't feel fun for me, but that's part of my role. As long as I'm doing it in a way that is kind, considerate, respectful, and even, I don't know if this is a word or not, but it's a word I've been playing with a lot lately, dignified. Mm -hmm. Like We have to be careful of what's coming out of our mouth. We don't ever control others. That's a really big part of of actually the work that I do. What I mean by that is so often we set a boundary, Andrea, and we somehow then are surprised when the other person doesn't meet our boundary. Or mm-hmm. our, <laughs> our, request. And the next thing, you know, and I've seen this happen, you know, we're on Facebook blabbering about, oh, so-and-so didn't hold my boundary. And we're blaming other people. We have to remember, we got to stay on our side of the street mm-hmm. and uphold the boundary. That's our responsibility. Other people may not like our boundaries and there will be pushback. They don't but have to. They don't have to. Exactly. Exactly. They might might not like our boundary. They might think it's the stupidest thing they've ever heard in their life. That's the dumbest boundary I've ever heard. It, for whatever reason, they might not have the capacity based on their own wounding, their own traumas, their own whatever to meet us in our boundary, or they may just not want to. That's on them. But as long as we have delivered the boundary with truth and compassion, love, whatever you want to call it. It's our responsibility to stand convicted in that boundary, no matter how uncomfortable and let the cards fall where they may with that other person, whatever they choose to do, that's feedback for us. So it's sort of as if Andrea were volleying a a volleyball back and forth. We're holding the volleyball. We toss it over the net to the other person, now they're holding it going, okay, this is the dumbest boundary I've ever heard. (laughs) Or, okay, I can meet this person in this boundary. I, I see their point, whatever, I'm willing to do that. They bounce it back then. So now we're holding it going, okay, what are we gonna do with this? We have to remember when we're setting boundaries and when we're getting pushback, we have to always come back to what are the things in which I have control here? Because it is not other people, how they show up, what they think, their opinions, how much they're growing or not growing. What do I actually have control of in this situation? Does
0: that answer the question? It does. And it does answer both sides of it too, because oftentimes it's a catchphrase right now. I don't care what industry you're in, that leaders need to do a better job of being empathetic. Yes. To show empathy. They need, they need to listen more than they speak. They need to be in touch and connected and all of these things. And I often feel that what people really need is leaders that protect boundaries. I don't want to get into a political discussion or a social issue discussion, but right now in our existence, especially in the United States, this is a real issue specifically for women. It's the justice of having a voice and having an opinion and setting boundaries to say you don't have to agree with my opinion leaders should be protecting the right to have an opinion yeah it's a very very profound issue in the world today and i do think also that men's voices don't get listened to at times i i don't want to discount that i don't want to discount that at all because it is absolutely it's not a gender thing at all i think everybody should have a voice I think we need to protect these boundaries. So how do you as a coach who specializes in this arena, when you have someone coming to you who has set boundaries, and people are routinely ignoring them and stepping all over them? How do you show them ways to tactfully push back and say, you're overstepping? Mm. You said something a moment ago that I think is really important
1: to weave into that question. And that is the word vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It is the most courageous thing and the most connective thing that we can do. We need people to start leaning into their vulnerability. We need leaders to start capitalizing on vulnerability. And again, going back to, because I do specialize with people who tend to fawn vulnerability is excruciating because one of the traits of a fauner is much like myself talking about that vacation story. A lot of us fauners have everything looking pretty top-notch on the outside because again, it's been one of the ways that we've survived. We've got all of our T's crossed, all of our I's dotted, and oh my gosh, if people actually really knew on the inside what was going on. So vulnerability is is key. He's starting to tap into some of that. And so when we're setting boundaries with employees or whomever it is, partners, children, it's leading with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I feel, Mr. Smith, I know you care for my child, child. Let's say you're speaking to I don't know maybe your son or daughter has some learning disabilities and you don't like how things are flushing out with some stuff at school and so you're sitting in a meeting you know with with some of the IEP folks and you're a little intimidated calling that out you know Mr. Smith I, I know that you've got Austin my son's best interests at heart and to be honest I'm feeling a little intimidated and scared to even say what I'm about to say. Right away, boom, we're connecting. It's owning our feelings, owning our needs, not going into that, you always, you never, you should, because anytime we're should on other people, they've got to put their dukes up and now they've got to fight for themselves. And we're putting people into that state of dysregulation when people should on us. It puts us into that state of, of dysregulation. So being very mindful and vulnerable with your language, I think, is crucial. And it is the sign of a really courageous and strong leader.
0: It is. It is. Two previous episode guests, Amy Fouth and Stephanie Simpson, said exactly what you just said. And that's what I love about 52 Weeks of Empowerment is that we continue to build retention through repetition. We are all coming from the same place. We get it. We see what's happening. The issue is to take the leap. I call it leap without looking and to, to trust our instincts. How do we overcome the internal things that are holding us back? What are some of the, the techniques that you use with some of your clients to mm. do? That? Mm, I love that question. I love that question. So we have to start with
1: what we really believe about, let's call it conflict because it's internal conflict. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's internal conflict. So just like I say with boundaries, most folks come to me with the mindset, boundaries are selfish, boundaries are wrong, boundaries are sinful. All of these stories about boundaries, they're mean, they're cruel, they're harsh. We have to start to really buy into the belief that boundaries are the kindest, most compassionate thing we can do. They are healthy. Boundaries are healthy. Same with conflict. We've been taught that conflict is bad because it feels bad. But what I want the listeners to understand is that conflict is feedback. Conflict is feedback. And so we have to start looking at the feedback, no matter how comfortable. We're all here, Andrea, and I know you know this. We are all here to learn and grow and expand. That is our soul's desire and purpose. The way that we do that is through conflict, which is feedback. If we don't have conflict, you know, everybody wants the pearl. Pearl is so beautiful. How do we get the pearl? It's friction because of the sand. The mm-hmm. oyster doesn't become the pearl without the friction of the sand. Just like we don't grow, expand, evolve into the leaders that we are meant to be if we don't have some conflict. And so step number one is really, we've got to start reminding ourselves, buying into the belief, whatever you want to call it, that conflict is simply feedback. It is not bad. It is not wrong. It is feedback. What is the feedback? Could there be a boundary that needs to be set? Are you not acting in integrity with yourself? Are you acting like you're somebody else? If you're acting like you're somebody else and not being authentic, which is, you know, how I lived for decades, <laughs> and it's how many of my clients have lived until they start working with me, when you're acting in a way that's not really who you are, there's going to be internal conflict. Mm-hmm. Mind chatter could be considered internal conflict. So, we've got to start looking at that internal conflict and go, what's going on here? What's the message? What's the feedback?
0: Very healthy response to an upbringing where. You've said, I've said on previous episodes that, you know, we've all had our stories and our upbringings and experiences. And then when you get into the real world and you're able to make decisions and judgment, you start to get really defensive when people start to show what you were raised with that you hated, the boundaries placed upon you, the overwrought expectations, and people start to fight. But to your point, it's because they're putting their dukes up during the conflict. And they finally have found a place where they can fight back. But the answer isn't to fight back, is it? It's really to accept the feedback, internally reflect and see how it can make you better. Yeah. Feedback is an
1: incredible way to grow. And as a matter of fact, one of my coaches and mentors, that's a requirement is that I go out and ask people in my life, whether it's my partner, my best friend, a whole variety of people to collect feedback. There's certain questions that are on the feedback form and I have to collect this feedback from other people. And when they give me the feedback, my responsibility is simply to take the feedback and go, Thank you very much. I can't banter back. I have to just take the feedback. Now there's a time for, I don't want to say fighting back, but standing for yourself too and having those crucial conversations. We get to look at the feedback and go, no, that's not how
0: I see things. Let's talk about this and stand for yourself too. When working with corporations in group settings, if you're implementing something like a competency model or something where people are going to be judged, an annual review process, something like that, give them an opportunity to react and respond. Give yeah. them You're assessing them. Allow them to f- drink it in. And it's going to take a different process for everyone and a different time point for everyone to process it, but be open to the conversation and exercise active listening. I don't think everybody does that, but I think it is something that I like to share.
1: Well, and I think to your point, one of the things that I do talk about quite a lot is so many of us aren't accustomed to that feedback or we've had Such harsh feedback for so many years that our window of tolerance, or I like to call it our window of capacity or our window of dignity is so low Mm -hmm. that when we get that feedback, it's such an explosive, it, it just feels so harsh, but feedback is truly, again, one of the best ways we can start to build that window of tolerance a little bit and a little bit and a little bit so that we're able to sustain and hold more in a way that is so full of integrity and authenticity.
0: Leaders need to do a better job of holding a safe space of two-way dialogue. We talk a lot about ABCD conversations, having conversations that could potentially escalate starting from a place of abundance. Hey, I really want to see you succeed here. The B is really having that balance. I want this to be a two-way dialogue. You're not maybe going to agree with everything that I'm going to say. And I may not have all the information. So I really want this to be a push pull conversation, being super clear of the outcomes, like, Hey, here's where you do something. Well, here's an area of opportunity. How can I help you? What's the path forward and having the dialogue with an end game by this time, I'm going to help you do thus. And so to help you get ahead, instead of saying, this is what you do wrong. Fix it. Yeah, exactly. It's even,
1: and we can carry this out into, you know, I like to get a little real time and practical. The other night, we were just having a a lot of personal stuff going down. So, as I was mentioning to you before we hit record, we have not one, but two puppies. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is in heat and wearing diapers. So, she did her business in her diapers which happened to fall out and get onto the carpeting in the, in the basement. (laughs) So it's supper time. I'm looking at this carpeting going, are you kidding me? Uh, There was something else going down. I can't even remember what it was, but I was feeling some massive dysregulation. I was super activated in my system. And I just took a moment. I hit the pause button, which was some of my greatest work because when I was activated, bam, I wanted to just, you know, I wanted to just do the thing or say the thing, or, you know, I had so much energy running through my system. It would often just be like, Wah! you know, take this. <laughs> so I stopped, you know, hit the pause button, went upstairs and said to my youngest son, mom is really struggling right now. I had a really rough night's sleep because the, the puppies aren't sleeping real well right now either because of this heat thing we got going on. <laughs> um, moms had a really had a rough night's sleep. I'm operating at a bare minimum. I need you to support me right now and take the dogs outside to play for 10 minutes. Would you be willing to do that? Mom, I got it. Absolutely. Versus how I would have shown up (laughs) before this work
0: somebody needs to help me
1: nobody does anything around here real time that's how i would have shown up in that situation but because i took that moment came back home to myself supported myself wasn't totally calm yet goal of being regulated is not necessarily to be calm. I was getting there, but I was still feeling some level of activation, but I was able to come from that conscious place and have a conversation from that place versus super dysregulated, letting anything fly out of my mouth and then slapping the label of, well, that's just my truth we see that a lot happening in the world right now too. So here's where you you were talking about the conversation being push and pull. And I love that because you will often hear me say, I'm a big fan of the art of the and. So it can be this way
0: and it can also be this way. It can be both. It can be both. And what I have gathered from this very powerful conversation that we're having here, and I could talk to you for hours. We don't have hours, but, um, we'll, gladly bring you back because I think this is just tipping the iceberg, but you're a boundary expert and it's clearly about putting up boundaries where it makes sense and letting down your boundary when it makes sense. It, and it's finding the balance between the two yeah. on your terms.
1: I think Andrea, to your point, when you really start to know who you are, Value who you are, know what you need, really fall in love with yourself. You start to really trust who you are and the choices you're making and the intuitive hits and and your leadership. You start to really stand in your own agency. That's when you can start to really become more fluid, I think, with your boundaries. So sometimes, again, when people have been so boundaryless, sometimes we have to just practice the art of no, no. I cannot be the Sunday school teacher again this year for the fifth year in a row. No, I cannot take on the commitment of being on the PTA this year. No, I cannot do adoration on Wednesday nights. No, I cannot be the brownie leader on Thursday nights this year. Sometimes it has to start there. Then when we start really standing in our agency, we can start to become more fluid from, because we, we know what we value We know what matters to us and we know what we need. We don't always know those things when we're dipping our toe in boundary work. It's true. The art
0: of saying no and the beauty of it is very, very self-empowering. I can remember consciously doing that at the end of last year and saying, if the if the issue is I need to create more time in my schedule to do the things that matter to me that I've been putting off or I find I have no time for, I need to take stock of what else I'm putting in those time buckets yeah. in order to free something up. And the universe did respond. I said no to certain commitments that I had always said yes to. And it enabled me before it's too late with my 11-year-old son and he no longer wants to spend time with me, to spend more time with him, to be more present in my marriage, to be more together and time sensitive with my correspondence and communication as a business leader, because I put up boundaries where they count and I took down boundaries where I had put them up. Yeah. Inappropriately. That, and that was very self-empowering. Very, very much. Well,
1: and that's the bottom line. You know, I teach a a boundaries workshop and and I lead right in the opening piece, telling the participants, I don't really have a definition of boundaries (laughs) because I think they all can work. Like it kind of depends on where you're coming in. I think there's room for all of the definitions. The definition that I love to your point of that beautiful story you just shared is boundaries are really about being honest with who we are this, this is who I am. This is the real me. This is what matters to me. This is what I value. And this is what I need. Can you meet me in that? Oh, you can. Great. Oh, you can't. Great. At least now I know boundaries are so honest. And that's what yeah. I love about them.
0: They're so and honest. They and really- As we talked about the overachiever and the person who's saying, but I'm so productive. You're actually more productive if you set up boundaries. Yes. And so we've been sort of hurting ourselves at times when we haven't. So this has been a powerful session. I want to thank Krista Resnick for joining 52 Weeks of Empowerment. Tell us, Krista, how can people get in touch with you to do the boundary work they need to do in their own lives?
1: If they want to simply come to my website, KristaResnick.com, that's probably the best place to get in touch with me if they want to set up just a no obligation phone call where we can or zoom call uh, either works really where we can just flesh out what it would look like to work with me what sort of boundaries they're sort of lacking in their lives what their goals are and we can just chat about if we think we'd be a good fit yeah.
0: thank you once again for tuning in today it like every other day i 52 weeks of empowerment i hope you've taken away that you know we're there for each other we really want to see you succeed and the steps to take to do it are really simplistic we just have to do it that's all we have time for this week and i really appreciate it. krista thank you for joining we'll reconnect with everybody next week same time same place more power